Are you cruising through life not always knowing what direction you were headed? Let Live On Purpose with Dr. Paul Jenkins be your guide. Live On Purpose will give you insights into your life and show you how you can become the driver and captain of it. No more aimless wandering. By learning the principles that govern happiness and wealth, you will be able to make personal progress that you have only dreamed possible. And now, here's your host, the shrink who expands your life, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life. I'm excited to be here again for another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And I want to get right to our topic and our guest today and introduce you to someone who has triggered some thinking in my mind and who has provided some some inspiration to me. I don't know if he knows that or not yet, but we're going to talk about that a little bit today. My guest's name is Jerem Thurston. Say hello, Jerem. Hello, everybody. Hey, glad to have you with me today. Thanks. Glad to be here. Just to introduce people to you a little bit, I want to go to the uh, to the July 30th Payson Chronicle. Okay, now for those of you listeners who are not familiar with Utah County, Payson is a small town that's located just a little bit south of the Provo Orem area. And uh, Jerem, this is where you where you basically grew up, isn't it? Yeah. Or at least for part yeah. of your life. Yeah, I was born actually in Murray, up in the Salt Lake area, but okay. only lived there for maybe two years. Pretty much grew up. Grew up in Payson, Payson. graduated from Payson High School, class of 1992. Yep. And uh, the, the paper didn't quite get that piece right. That's okay. It makes uh, me look older. But it says here, Jerem Thurston, PHS 1991, but you know the correction now, brings back the buckle from Badwater Ultra Marathon 135. Okay, now this sounds like, I don't know, some kind of a condition you may have had or something like that. <laughs> but what it's talking about is an event that you participated in just, what, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, July 14th to the 16th. Okay, so it was the, just right just in the middle of ago. July. Let me just read uh, kind of some of the introductory paragraph here, and that will get us talking. It says here, if you finish the Badwater Ultramarathon... Under 48 hours, you get a belt buckle, and your body may never recover from the experience. And here the headline says that you brought back the buckle. So that means that you finished it in under 48? It does. Uh, the race actually okay. allows the runner 60 hours to complete the distance that starts in Badwater in Death Valley and finishes halfway up Mount Whitney at the Whitney Portal. So you have 60 hours, two and a half wow. days. And anyone who finishes under 48 gets a special belt buckle. Everybody else gets a finisher's medal if they finish within mm-hmm. the 60 hours, but you get a special one for going under two days. For doing it in under 48 hours. Right. So uh, here's this, this race. It's a foot race, and it's 135 miles starting in Death Valley. Now, Death Valley is sort of renowned for being one of the hottest places on earth correct isn't that true <laughs> and i experienced it firsthand and it it's hot and i think i saw on the blog site that one of your support people put together that sometimes it can it can top out at 136 degrees yeah down there. i think the record has been 136 137 degrees which is just amazing air temperature and then you're running on the asphalt which is anywhere from 160 to 180 It'll literally wow. melt the bottoms of your shoes and cook eggs right on the pavement. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's hot. So here's this, and an ultra marathon means, uh, well, this one is 135 miles. So just to create that context for you listeners, here's this race that starts down in the bottom of Death Valley and ends on Mount Whitney, which uh, at least here in the newspaper article says is the tallest mountain in the continental United States. So you're gaining some significant elevation. Yeah. There's, during this run. Yeah. Well. There's actually two mountain ranges. You, we cross over just to get to Mount Whitney along the 135 mile route. The first 40 miles is flat. It's below sea level. 
And once you pass mile 42, you start a 16-mile climb up to Towns Pass, which is just about 6,000 feet. And then you drop into Panamint Valley that drops down another few thousand feet. And then you climb up over Darwin's Pass. And then it goes down into Lone Pine. And from Lone Pine, you start the last 13 miles of the course is all uphill up to over 8,000 feet. Wow. Mount Whitney. So that's okay. a tough way to finish so, the race. So the, the, first of all, Jerem, I want to congratulate you Thanks. on your finish and and on finishing fast enough to, to get that additional prize. And second of all, I want to ask you, why? What are you thinking? <laughs> well, I, I've been running for about eight years. Um, when I, mm-hmm. I, I hated running. I grew up swimming. You know, my whole family did. And, and so I... I kind of what it's like to you know be athletic and stay in shape and I did swimming my whole life but I, I hated running about eight years ago my younger brother decided to run a marathon just to see if he could do it and my dad had run several you know in his mm-hmm. lifetime and mm-hmm. you know as a young kid I never really understood what what a marathon even was I'd done a few fun runs you know 5ks or whatever and seeing my brother finish a marathon made me think well I wonder if I can do it mm-hmm so I trained for a whole year and did the St. George Marathon and and just kind of got addicted to the whole runner's high and just feeling good and being in shape and, you know, losing weight. Mm-hmm. You know, I was up over 215 pounds at the time. And so I just really enjoyed doing it. And I just ran more and more. And about three or four mm-hmm. years ago, I that's when I first heard about ultra marathons, which is anything beyond the 26.2 mile marathon mm-hmm. distance. And got hooked to that and now I just I don't know I want to keep seeing how much more I can do I guess now this is an interesting question that I asked you and I just I was kind of kind of uh, goading you into this a little bit but there's a lot of reasons why people do these kinds of these kinds of events or activities and there's a reason why it's inspiring to people too because for for most people if you look at a 135 mile race and especially if it's in extreme conditions like what you're facing down in Death Valley mm-hmm. that looks impossible it, it, yeah talk about that it, it, even where i've been running for years when i first heard about that race i thought it was impossible and but as i met other people who had done it um, I just, I don't know, something in me said, can you do it? You know, is mm-hmm. it possible? Cause other people have done it and I'd already, you know, run a marathon, which at one point I thought was impossible. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, I'd done several other races and finished and every one I've done, I thought I couldn't do it in the first place. And mm-hmm. there's been some that I didn't finish for one reason or another, you know, health reasons or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's something about finishing something that you thought was impossible, you know, brings a lot more pride and happiness maybe, you know, during your life than never knowing at all if you could have done it. It changes something in your mind. It does. And and the thing that it changes is not just about running. It's not just about your physical abilities. But if you can get yourself to do something that you once thought was impossible or that looked impossible to you, it changes the way you define impossible. Yep. It mentally prepares you for more than you ever could have imagined. I'm sure that there's a lot of life's lessons that have come from this. Oh, yeah. And I've heard you talk about a few of those before, Jerome. Yeah, there is. Uh, I think part of what we're going to get into on today's program is what some of those life's lessons are for you. Okay. What you've learned from that, what the analogies are. Um, but I think that is the first one. That when something appears to you to be impossible, it's probably just because, according to your own experience, uh, it you have a hard time finding where it's going to fit. Right. Now that you've done this, how does a marathon look to you? Oh, I run marathons for training now. <laughs> I, yeah, any day of the week, if... I'm up to it. I can run 26 miles now. So there's this thing called the decimal factor. Okay. And I, I talk to my clients about this from time to time. Where do you remember when uh, you were a little kid and a dollar was a big deal? <laughs> yep. And then you remember you got a little older and 10 bucks was a big deal? 
and then a hundred bucks was a big deal. And then a thousand bucks. This is the decimal factor. And you've gone through the same thing with your races. I had a similar experience not too long ago with, you know, those little puzzles, the Rubik's cubes. Yep. Okay. And I learned how to do one of those when I was a kid and I mastered it and it was no challenge for me anymore. Some people who don't know how to solve it, it's really a challenge for them. And then my wife brought home as a gift once, it's called the Rubik's Revenge. Okay, and it's instead of three across, it's four across. Okay, and so you got this cube that's four by four. And I finally mastered that one. And then she brought home the professor cube, which is five. Okay, and it's just increasing in magnitude all the time. Exponentially harder. In fact, Brennan, who's sitting over here at the controls, my son, uh, I wasn't able to solve it. And I was kind of stuck with it. And then he figured it out. Well, when I saw him, that he's able to solve this thing, the big one, I mean the Professor Cube, it switched something in my mind. You know, and I'm thinking, gosh, if he can do it, I wonder if I could do it too. You know, I knew I could if I did what it takes. And so I started working on that and I solved it. And I was just thinking of that as another example of what, what experience you must be having with this as you have convinced yourself that you can do something that once looked impossible. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. In fact, the first two times I attempted my first 100 miles, I failed. And then I went to Brazil in January to do my 135-mile race, and it was undaunting. I knew I could do it. I just knew I had Mm -hmm. to change something mentally in my head to convince myself that I was going to finish. And I did. And... Now I finished another one in Death Valley, which is considered the toughest in the world at, in this kind of you know environment. Mm. So mentally, something changed, and and I got over. That so it's obstacle. not a it's not a physical barrier. No, I don't think it is. Talk about that. I th- I think because I'm not a runner. Um, I don't have a <laughs> runner's physique. I don't consider myself to be a runner. That's just um, funny, Jeremy, because you're, you've just finished two 135-mile races, right? Yeah. And you say you're not a runner. But yeah. what, what you're saying is you're, you're not the stereotypical, somebody wouldn't necessarily look at you and say, oh, I bet that guy's a marathon runner. Exactly. You don't look like the Ethiopians in the Olympics. You right. Know? Um, but in, in saying that, what you're getting to is that there's a mental game here. Yep, I think that anybody could do it. Because I'm proof that I did it, and I probably the least that would have been able to do it in my mind. Mm. So the mental challenge is the one that you have to overcome. Yep. We're going to explore that a little bit when we come back from this break, and we're going to talk about some of those life's lessons that you learned in taking this thing on. We'll be right back. If the pile of books you want to read is growing faster than the pile you have read, then Abundant Reading Systems can help you. After taking Abundant Reading Systems course, I dramatically increased my ability to expand my knowledge in a much more efficient way. My fastest test today was in 7,000 words per minute. I highly recommend this program. From what I've seen it do for other people who've been through the entire program and from what I've seen in myself today. I've teamed up with Abundant Reading Systems to offer a single day intensive speed reading workshop that will at least double your reading speed, guaranteed. This belief started to grow inside of me that I thought, oh, I can really do this. I can read you know, as fast as I let myself read and uh, ended up doubling my time, my speed reading time, which was really good. This is David Hinton, founder of Abundant Reading Systems. I want to personally invite you to join us for our next event. Visit AbundantReadingSystems.com now. Abundant Reading Systems, reading at the speed of imagination. This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about MoreBetterBooks.com. MoreBetterBooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on MoreBetterBooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. 
this best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hit messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. Okay, we've got a little introduction here, Jerem, as, as we talked in our first segment about this, this Badwater Ultra Marathon that you had done. And uh, if people want to want to learn more about that, you gave me a, a link, and I want to share that with our listeners, and then we'll, we'll put it up on our website, too, so that people can see it there. And the link is triracer, T-R-I... R A C E R triracer dot com. Yeah, it's a it's a website from a, of a friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, and then he created you know a whole blog or kind of like a journal um, of the race where he documented it, everything he remembered during the race as it unfolded, things mm-hmm. that I've said, things that happened, and he took pictures with his his iPhone and and put it all together in kind of a blog format with the. A lot of pictures in the photo galleries and stuff. So in going to that site, and I'm looking at it right now, people can can kind of get connected with what this was like for you, kind of follow the experience. Right, exactly. Uh, the way that Rob here has documented it. Yeah. Okay, so that's triracer.com, and you can see a little bit more about what Jerem's talking about here. Just before the break, Jerem, we're talking about how taking on something, when you feel like something is impossible... And and seeing yourself actually conquer that is probably one of the biggest rushes you can have. Yeah. Uh, talk about a natural eye, huh? Exactly. But you didn't start with that. I was asking you during the break, how many times did you attempt one of these, uh, let's say, a 100-mile run? Mm-hmm. Okay. How many times did you attempt that before you succeeded? Twice. Well, the third time I finally succeeded. The first two times I, I didn't finish. Um, the first time I ran for 21 hours straight on the old Pony Express route. And I went 93 miles. And I had seven miles to go and my, my legs couldn't go anymore. And oh, wow. everything my support crew was giving me to eat that was supposed to taste sweet tasted bitter. And I thought that was strange because it just you know gummy bears or whatever just tasted horrible later i found mm. out that was a sign of liver failure um so i stopped um for a few reasons once i just couldn't walk anymore and mm. two i was worried a little bit about my health and figured it was better to stop and recover so i could run versus you know get mm-hmm. injured to the point that i couldn't do what i love to do so mm-hmm. but it was disappointing it was frustrating you know my family was there everybody supporting me thinking it's going to be my first 100-mile run. I was, I wanted to do it in under 24 hours, and I was on pace to do that. And seven miles ago, which seems like so little after 93 miles, mm-hmm. you know, was too much. And, and I didn't. About seven or eight months later, I tried the exact same course, the exact same route, and, and I only went 72 miles. After 60 miles, mm-hmm. I got so sick, I was throwing up, and I couldn't get my stomach to feel better and six hours later six hours walking all night long trying to get my stomach to settle I still wasn't feeling better so I decided to call it quits again and it was all in preparation for the Brazil 135 that I did in January so I go all the way down to Brazil with two DNFs under my belt at 100 miles and here I'm supposed to do 135 miles in some now DNF that's that's runner speak for did not finish did not finish Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of friends of mine and family that knew 
you know, my history of running. And I'd done a lot of 50 milers and 100 kilometers, which is 62 miles. But to double that distance, you know, it's it, it's, it's a big deal. So I, to go down to Brazil and do 135 was just, I don't know, it, it seemed like the impossible again. Even though the first time I ran 50 miles, I thought, wow, i just done something that I thought was impossible. And here I was faced with another challenge that I thought was going to be impossible. And the only thing I could change, because physically it wasn't the distance, because I knew I could do it. It was a mental barrier obstacle that I had to convince myself that, that I could do it. So Mm -hmm. mentally, you know, changing something in my attitude, um, I got to Brazil and I, and I finished, you know, I, I took it with a whole different, I wasn't there to race anybody. I was there to do my own thing. And all I wanted to do was finish. And when I crossed the Mm -hmm. finish line after 135 miles in 45 hours, and I was seventh overall out of 41 runners that came from all over the world to do that race, I was amazed. But more than mm. placing seventh, I was just happy that I did what I set out to do after two failures before that. So wow, that's that's an amazing story. Thanks. Well, it's amazing to you too, isn't it? It is. It is. What have you learned? What are some of those? Just just grab off the top of your head. What are some of those most powerful lessons that you've learned yeah. from doing this? I've I've learned more about myself. You know, in, in like those 45 hours of running by myself in Brazil, because I did it solo. I didn't have a support crew in that one. Um, I just learned that I'm so much more capable of doing anything I set my mind to if I can mentally put myself there and envision mm-hmm. it. Um, physically, I think, you know, I know I can do a lot of things because I've, I've done them, but mentally is the, the hard one to get over. There's some mental barriers that creep in there. Were you fighting with that in Brazil? Oh yeah, I mean the the pain that your body goes through in in these races is is beyond you know what you can imagine. Because I mean everything hurts. You know your your organs, your vital organs can start shutting down. Your feet, you get blisters, and to the point that every step hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, and it. Uh, it, it, yeah, it just makes it seem like there's there's no way to go on, and you tell yourself over and over, well, if I just stop now, I'll be out of the, get myself out of this this painful mm-hmm. you know, predicament that I'm in. But yet, then I'll have to go through weeks of you know being depressed or frustrated for for not being able to finish. So, mm. so I'm seeing a lot of ways that that can apply to to our life in general. Because there's a lot of challenges that we come up against in life. And I I think there's a lot of times when you look at those challenges and you think, oh my heavens, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And you think, if I just quit, then it'll be all over. Yeah. Right? Yep. And this is one of the lessons that you've learned from that. Yep. So now when things come up in my life and I think the same thing, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back to some of these ultra marathons that I've run where I had the same thoughts. It was a whole different situation, but I had the exact same thoughts and, and I just Mm -hmm. pushed on. So were there some, I don't know what to call them, Jerem, were there, were there decision points or tipping points at some point, some specific things from, from the experience that you can remember that where you were facing that and where, where you saw yourself overcome that. Yeah, there there's always probably two or three times in, in these races when you, you think there's no way to go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a race I did just a year ago that was 60, about 60 miles, and halfway through the race, I, 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 I couldn't keep going. I was so physically exhausted, I had to sit down about every 100 yards, and people were just passing me left and right. And I got to an aid station about halfway through the race, and I just told the people there I have to, I need to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And at that particular aid station, there was no way for anyone to get. If I even wanted to drop out, they couldn't give me a ride down because it was up in the mountains, and they were they the people that were there volunteering got up there by foot, so they'd have to carry me down. Oh. Um, 
And so I, I decided I would lay down and sleep and then see if I couldn't get to the next aid station. Maybe there would be somebody with a car to take me. So I took a nap for 20 or 30 minutes, woke up and felt better and kept going. And next thing I knew, I had this, a better second half of the race than the first half mm. and finished. So mm. a lot of times I get to that point and, you know, whether it's in my life or in other races, and I, th I think back to that particular race because I was out. I told myself I was done. Now the physical location kept me from dropping out. And because of that, mm -hmm. I had no choice but to, to get push, over it and push on to overcome and push on through. And I ended up finishing and, and that taught me a lesson, you know, greater than probably most any other lesson I've ever had in my life that when I think mm -hmm. it's impossible, it, it's not because something or someone or somehow you can get over it. There was something, help me out with this, there was something that you shared before with me about a steak. What's, yeah. what's the deal with the steak? The steaks, uh, in, in the Badwater Ultramarathon in Death Valley and the one in Brazil, the 135 miles, the race director has give, gives every runner a wooden steak with their race number on it. And if they need to seek medical attention or they have to stop at some point during the race you know they have a time limit you have 60 hours to finish the race but if you need to go seek medical attention you can put that stake in the ground and go back or go forward on the course um, do whatever you need to do to get better to recover and then you can mm -hmm. go back to that same point on the course and start back into the race um, pick up where you left pick off. pick up so. where you left off and and the analogy there i guess you know, in life is that, you know, we all want to keep going and improve and perfect ourselves. And I think there comes a time, you know, multiple times during our lives when we have to put a stake in the ground and, and go back because we just need the time off and to go figure out what we're going to do with our lives. And then we can, we have that opportunity to go back and pick up where we left mm -hmm. off again mm -hmm. and keep going and improve and perfect ourselves. So did you use the stake in that race? The one in Brazil, I didn't. The one in Death Valley, I used it twice. Mm. I had to stake out. Uh, the first time, I got so sick and vomiting because of the heat in Death Valley. After about 52 miles, I had to put the stake in the ground, go back to a hotel room, and sleep for four hours. And mm -hmm. then I recovered and went on all night. And then in the first morning... The second day, I had to use the stake again. Mm -hmm. So I finished the race in 47 hours, and the clock never stopped once. Um, but I know I lost a good six or seven hours of downtime that I had to use the stake mm -hmm. um, to go recover and you know get my stomach feeling better so I could continue. And, and that's okay. Well, that's perfectly fine. It's okay to put down a stake, take care of yourself. Because if you lose yourself, you've just lost your, your vehicle. Everything. <laughs> in this, you know, and in life, that's all you got. Exactly. Is you. So you take care of yourself, and then you pick up where you left off. There's some good analogies there. We'll talk some more about that as we come on back. Jay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Is it required to receive before giving? According to Blake McCoskey, you should give first, then receiving is just a result. The 29-year-old business phenom was traveling in Argentina when a philanthropic idea hit him. Blake noticed that most of the people in the villages did not have shoes. Their feet were injured and diseased. Instead of creating a charity and going through fundraising to help, Blake decided to start a business. He designed a pair of shoes using an authentic Argentinian look, but using upgraded materials for support and durability. He decided to sell the shoes for $40, which included enough profit to donate a pair of shoes to someone in Argentina. Every time someone buys a pair of Blake's shoes, they feel good about helping someone else. 
His original goal was to sell 250 pairs of shoes his first six months so he could donate 250 pairs of shoes to those in need. Well, the story took off better than Blake supposed as over 10,000 pairs of shoes were ordered and donated in his first six months of business. In two years, Blake has sold and donated over 63,000 pairs of shoes, created a lot of success, and helped a lot of people with his giving idea. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. I've got a great idea. Wouldn't you like to know? You probably can't bear it, so I guess I'll have to share it. I thought of it a moment Thank you for listening to Live on Purpose Radio. Some of you have been asking how you can get more involved with the show. And I also appreciate those of you who have offered to support the show. Now you can do both easily by purchasing a Top Spots listing. For a very small donation to the show, your link will be posted at liveonpurposeradio.com. Just go to the website and look for the Top Spots widget on the right side panel. Click at the bottom and follow the simple instructions. You will then be at the top of the list. Thanks for your support. Okay, Jeremy, we're going to divert for just a minute to something a little different. Okay. You up for it? Sure, I guess. We have here in the studio with us also Monica. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Monica is from Brazil. Correct. And she speaks primarily Portuguese. And so Monica and I don't talk a lot together, but we do a little bit. And uh, she is one of the people who has been an inspiration to you Jerem, as you've taken on this thing that once was impossible in your life and no longer is. But Monica, you have a story too. And I think with with Jerem's help, I would love to summarize what your story is about um, where you were in your life and where you are now. Because you run these races too, right? Você, ele quer ouvir a sua história, porque você inspira muitas pessoas e até me inspirou também. E quer saber onde você onde você estava comparado com onde você está hoje em dia, através das corridas. Bom, um, para começar a falar sobre isso, primeiramente, eu tenho que falar que eu venho de um histórico de peregrina. To first start with her story, she come from a background of going on pilgrimage walks. E que eu sempre gostei de andar desde pequena, desde menina. Since she was a little girl, she loved walking. E eu fui casada durante 28 anos com um espanhol. E eu tive a oportunidade de visitar várias vezes a Espanha. She was married to a guy from Spain for many years and so she had been back to Spain several times. Mm-hmm. E todas as vezes que eu ia, eu via os peregrinos fazendo o caminho de Santiago. And every time she'd go, she'd see the pilgrims walking the there's a faith walk over there called the the walk to Santiago. Mas eu nunca colocava na minha agenda todas as vezes que eu ia um, um tempinho para eu fazer o caminho de Santiago. Foi quando em 1995 eu descobri que eu estava com câncer. Em 1995, when I was hoping to go do that walk myself, at some five or eight hundred miles long, I found out I had cancer. Oh. E, e daí eu tive, é, fiz, precisei fazer três cirurgias porque eu tive várias recidivas. E foram cinco anos de muita luta com quimioterapia para ter a minha vida de volta. And I had to go through three different surgeries to get it all out in chemotherapy for five years. Oh. E 
quando foi em 2001, eu tive novamente a oportunidade de voltar à Espanha. Então, eu fiz uma pergunta para mim mesma. O que é que eu estou esperando para realizar esse sonho e fazer o caminho de Santiago? Eu estou esperando morrer? Em 2001, eu tive outra oportunidade de voltar para a Espanha para fazer o walk para Santiago. E eu pensei para mim, o que estou esperando até eu morrer? Oh, so and this walk is 500 miles. São quantos mil? São 800 quilômetros. 800 quilômetros. Mas eu fiz uma parte porque eu ainda tinha sequelas do da cirurgia e eu fiz apenas 500 quilômetros. So she went that that first time and and did 500 kilometers of the 800. Depois eu não parei mais. Daí eu fiz. Never ever since. É, been walking and doing é, other races. O caminho do ah, o caminho do sol, o caminho da luz, o caminho da she fé. Did the walk of sun, the walk of light, the o walk of faith, which are all pilgrimage walks in Brazil. In Brazil. É, uh-huh. Foi nessa oportunidade que eu conheci o Mário Lacerda e que ele estava montando, né, a a Brasil 135. Yeah, é. Right about that time when she met a guy by the name of Mario Lacerda who was the the director of the Brazil 135. Yeah, and the he, Brazil 135 is similar to this Badwater Ultra Marathon. It, it's part of a world series of the there's three races that are 135 miles in distance uh-huh. uh, all held in extreme conditions. So they're each very different from each other. They have the heat in Death Valley, mm. the cold in Minnesota at the Arrowhead 135. In, in Brazil, you have the mountains and rain to face. Okay. E ele me convidou para uh, fazer parte, correr a prova teste da Brasil 135, que foi em 2006. So in 2006, th- this friend Mario, who was organizing for the first time the Brazil 135 in the mountains, invited her to help test out the course so she did part of that and then a year later she did it uh, solo and finished in 67 hours where she missed the 60 hour cutoff but she still finished and the race director for the Brazil or the Badwater race thought she had a very interesting story being a cancer survivor and that she had finished the Brazil race although outside of the 60 hour time limit wow and Uh, selected her for the 2007 Badwater race because Mario told him that she, he really thought she could do it. And so you ran in the 2007 Badwater race. Então você correu em 2007 na Badwater. Foi, mas antes da da Bad, eu eu corri em 2006 a prova teste, em 2007 a Brasil 135, que eu não fui finisher em 60 horas, eu fiz em 67 horas. Yeah, she's saying that, yeah, that's, you know, mm-hmm. when she did the Brazil 135 in 2007, but missed the cutoff, but was still selected oh, for the, the Badwater in okay. 2007, in mm-hmm. yeah, July of last year. Wait a minute. I thought you were dying from cancer or something. Peraí, eu pensei que estava morrendo de câncer ou alguma coisa assim. Não, eu nunca me deixei vencer por nada. Não, eu me apeguei aos meus filhos. She got a closer vida, to her, her, her two boys. A minha família. E hoje, para mim, andar, correr, não correr porque eu não corro muito, eu mais ando do que corro, porque eu não treino velocidade, eu treino resistência. So today, walking to me is, is very important and a sign of living. Sign I, I don't, of life, she yeah. says, I don't run a whole lot because I'm not fast, but I, I walk as far as I can. Mm. Wow. We talk about mental barriers. Okay, and overcoming those mental barriers. And I'm hearing a story right now that's inspiring to me because here's here's an opportunity. When like cancer, for example, when you have a an illness or a diagnosis like cancer, what are you gonna do with that? And I think I think Monica, your story is inspiring to me because instead of just giving up and quitting and dying or whatever. You chose to live. You chose to move forward. You chose to 
to do something else. And I'm guessing that you probably live more now than you did before. Maybe você, you can summarize some of that. Você inspira ele porque ele estava falando comigo antes a respeito de barreiras mentais. E a sua história é um exemplo muito grande de uma barreira mental de alguém que teve câncer e podia ter desistido, morrido, sei lá, com a vida. Ao invés disso, você superou e ama mais a vida agora do que antes. Sim, hum. com certeza. Não pensa que até hoje não é fácil para mim, porque eu encontro assim, muita barreira para correr na alimentação. Eu não como nada que tem fibra, eu não tomo leite, eu não como fruta, eu não como verdura. Ela você mesmo, Geron, é testemunha que eu vou correr sábado e já desde ontem que eu estou assim, morrendo de vontade de comer vários tipos de alimento e eu não como. Ela diz, eu sou uma testemunha que ela vai correr essa corrida no sábado e ela tem you know so much desire to eat a lot of these things that <laughs> she wants to but she can't or her body's you know going to have a hard time on saturday mm -hmm. so saturday the two of you are going to be running in a race yeah here locally and it's a little short one it's a little short one it's only 100 kilometers so 62 mile trot in the mountains <laughs> a little 62 mile jaunt through the yeah, hills huh? through the trails up pablo creek canyon uh-huh wow that what an inspiring story jerem what did it mean to you When you saw and heard about Monica and her story. I was actually helping another Brazilian friend of mine who wanted to do the Badwater race. And, and I got an email from the race director saying, Here, here's a guy you need to talk to because he helps a lot of the Brazilians. And that was Mario, the director of the Brazil 135. Mm -hmm. And when I got in contact with him, it was just the time that she had been selected for the Badwater race in 2007. And he asked me if I would be on her team to go and just support her and be a pacer and run part of the race with her. And and that's when I first, you know, met Monica. Uh, I was actually on my way to Brazil at the time, so I got to meet her about two months before the race when she was going to come to the U.S. and run in Death Valley. And and she, I got to her house and she pulled out all these articles and newspapers and magazines and stuff for some of the, the some of these faith walks that she'd done after being uh, a cancer survivor and and to be on her team and, and watch her last year do that race in 54 hours and she finished, you know, that just was one of those things that inspired me to think, well, if this 51-year-old cancer survivor lady can do it, I want to see if I can do it. And that's part of the mental barrier that you, yeah. that you were able to overcome through the inspiration of someone else. Right. This is... So powerful. Think about this just in terms of our life and how as you go through life and you, you face your challenges, that there are other people in this world who are facing challenges as well. What's going to happen if you can overcome your own barriers and your own challenges in a way that's going to inspire other people? So in part, because of Monica and her story, you felt inspired about that. You've overcome some of your own challenges, and now you are inspiring people, and it's just, it's so cool. It, it is. It's so neat to see how that works as people overcome their challenges, inspiring other people to do the same. Yeah, I I, I love meeting people and and them telling me that they're starting to run, you know, and get in shape because of me. Because of how you inspired them. I, I think it's amazing. It's a neat story. Thank you, Monica, for sharing that story. Thank you. We'll be right back. Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. 
Listen to what others are saying about these calls. By applying the things I've learned to the parental power calls, I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I really like to use parental power as kind of like a reference book. So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcast seems closely related. So I like the variety of, of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed. I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day. Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to Dr. Paul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls. Or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org. All of the previous calls are posted on our blog site, where you can also add your own input. Let's team up to start parenting on purpose. This is Ross Kellen Moore of Creation Tree Coaching, and I've got two questions for you. Who are you? What do you want? You see, I've figured out that you and I can absolutely create anything that we really want. But to do that, we've got to be absolutely clear on who we really are and what we really want. So what do you want? More financial abundance? More fulfilling relationships? A higher level of health and fitness? How about finding your work that allows you to create massive value for others in the way that you love most? Welcome to Creation Tree Coaching. We are the world's premier provider of abundance, education, and resources. We are here to help you create the life you really love. Begin now at creationtreecoaching.com. Check out our live teleseminar classes and podcasts. Get to know our coaches and schedule a coaching session. Explore training for your business and employees. Welcome to Creation Tree Coaching and a whole new world that you create on purpose. Wow, this has been this has been a really fascinating conversation to me, partially because it's it's got the Portuguese element in <laughs> there. But uh, in the break, uh, we were hearing from Monica what some of the things were that she she would summarize into a message that she would want to share with the world about what she's been through. And and Jerem, as you were listening to that summary, can you just share with our listeners? Uh, those pieces that Monica shared during the break. Yeah, she she was saying that no matter who you are and what, what problems you're going through and facing in life, you just can't give up. She says, you know, because when you get through something that is as scary as cancer or whatever it may be, um, your perception and your value that you put on your life changes and and you value everything so much more your family and love and mm. you know your job or whatever it is that, that you still are holding on to even if it's just to continue living um mm. don't don't give up what advice would you have for our listeners um i think the the advice that i would have is whether you're a runner or an or an athlete at all or whatever passion you have in your life um, think about how you can take that to the next level. You know, what, mm -hmm. what about, what is it about what you love? It's just almost seems impossible because someone's doing it. Someone's making it happen. And mm. there's a, there's a lot you can learn about yourself by trying to do something that you thought was once impossible. You know, whether that's public speaking or writing a book, maybe you want to create a blog Maybe you want to restore an old antique car, whatever it is, and whatever challenges have faced you to not do it, and it just seemed impossible. Keep going after it, one step at a time. Mm. One hundred thirty-five so, miles is a long way, but you get there one step at a time. And at some point, you're looking back on it, and it looks different to you looking back. Yeah. It looks a lot different. It looks a lot easier than you thought it was going to be. So what are the exceptions? Do, do you think there are some people, I mean, 
what I'm thinking is I've, I've interviewed so many people, Jeremy, you know, just in my office, in my practice, and they have something that they really wish that they could do, but oh, there's all these reasons why they can't. Do you think there's any exceptions, or, or is the human mind and the human spirit strong enough to overcome or accomplish pretty much anything? Yeah, yeah I, I don't think there are any exceptions. You know, even if it just just running, and people ask me all the time, "How do I train and run for these ultra marathons?" Because they they say they would, but they don't have time. I have the same twenty four hours a day as everybody else, but because mm-hmm. it's something that I love to do, and and that I enjoy doing, it's a passion in my life now, and almost to the point that maybe I'd say I'm addicted to it. I can mm-hmm. find time for it. You know, mm-hmm. if that means I don't sleep eight hours tonight because I'm going to go run in the middle of the night or I'm going to get up at mm-hmm. three in the morning and run for three hours, I make it happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think there's any exceptions. Well, you know, there have been times, I, I'm thinking of one of my favorite stories, and you may remember the name Roger Bannister. Back in the 60s, it was thought that running a mile in less than four minutes was physically impossible. impossible. Physically impossible. There were medical opinions to that effect. Mm -hmm. And Roger Bannister kind of blew that away when he ran it, and I think it was was 359.17, something like that. It was just under four minutes, but he broke that, that barrier. And I'm going to put the word barrier in quotes here because is there really a barrier... Is there really something that's stopping people from doing it? You know, you get, you hit four minutes and what, there's a wall or something, you know, just some kind of an invisible thing that you hit? Well, no, uh-huh. it's not that way at all. And when Roger Bannister broke that, that barrier of four minutes running a mile, you know how long his record stood? I don't recall, but it probably wasn't very long. It was not very, I think After it was a matter of years. a couple of days. And then somebody else beat it. And there's a couple of guys who have done that over 120 times in their in themselves. In their career, yeah. Yeah, in their career, in their running career. And now that's become the standard. If you can't run a mile in less than four minutes, you're not going to compete on a world scale. You're just not. Unbelievable. And so those barriers come down, and then the floodgates open. Uh, it was once thought to be impossible to put a man on the moon. Okay, that one came down. What else is going to come down? Who knows? It just depends on what people are going to commit themselves to and then apply themselves diligently to make it happen. There's something else, though, that I wanted to point out. You mentioned a few times intense pain. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and you know what that feels like, don't you? I do, You've experienced it. Can you really accomplish your dreams without being willing to face the pain? I don't think so. I've got mm. a friend who, who always uses this quote. He says, pain and, dis- and discomfort are temporary, but pride is eternal. Mm. So, yeah, if, uh, you know, there's opposition in, in everything, and, and that's probably one lesson I've learned in, in running these races, and that is, if you don't have the the pain and discomfort, you you would never know how great it is to to finish a, a race and how good it feels when you're finally out of that pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. You know, and you appreciate the accomplishment so much more exactly because of what you've been through to get there. Yeah. But the the people who give up because of the pain or who who choose to to turn back instead of completing their dream when the, when it gets hard when you get into the thick of it and i I'm, I'm talking in the context of some other challenges that people might be facing whether they're emotional challenges or economic challenges or relationship challenges and when it gets hard what are you going to do right are you going to overcome those mental barriers and keep moving forward or are you going to fold up and go home and you've always got that choice don't you yep it's always just a choice. You can prepare yourself, though, for it. And and I imagine maybe we should have talked about this right at the beginning of the program. But you don't just go run 135 miles in the desert. Just, oh, I think I'll go do that. 
Right. You got to prepare yourself. You got to train. What kinds of things did you do to train to prepare yourself? Um, the, the physical side is, is definitely I mean, the only way to really get yourself to go run, you know, a hundred miles or more is, is to start running mm-hmm. and to run a lot. Didn't I hear something though about you tying tires to yourself yeah, yeah. and dragging them around and stuff? What's yeah. that? Uh, you know, f- physically it's almost, and here I'm going to use the word again, impossible to, mm-hmm. to train to run 135 miles because you're, it's so hard on the body. You can't do that much you know, so many days in a row just to do it. So you can only put your body through so much fatigue and exhaustion and then, you know, come race day, you lay it all out on the line. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I can't go run a hundred miles every day. I don't have that much time, but if I go out and, and add some resistance to my training, you know, pull a tire, wear ankle weights, carry a backpack with extra weight in it. You know, I might have an hour or two to go run, but it will, put my body through what it feels like is two or three times that amount. Mm-hmm. So it's just extra resistance, um, you know, to give me a little bit more with the time that I do have to train. So there's a perspective issue here too, as you're facing, I mentioned the other kinds of challenges, whether it's a relationship challenge or an economic challenge or whatever it is. And sometimes people feel like they're being overwhelmed by their current circumstances. What if we could start to see that differently? You know, like you, if you if you got a rope around your waist and you're dragging a tire behind you while you're running, mm-hmm. and I imagine they don't roll very well when you do that, right? They drag, and they drag <laughs> heavy. They drag heavy, and it increases the resistance, and it's harder, right? But that resistance is exactly what's going to strengthen you to be able to accomplish your dream. Yep, and then when you get to cut that rope, take the tire off, take the weights off. Then you're flying. Yeah, it's a whole new world. You know, I was on a river trip once. And uh, in this river trip, one of the, I was, I was a young, I, was, I think I was like 15, 16 years old. And one of the leaders that was there on this river trip with us, on a slow stretch of river, we'd always paddle, right, to keep moving forward. And he was kind of a jokester. And he showed me that if you turn the paddle sideways, it's much easier where the blade just kind of cuts through the water mm-hmm. instead of having all that resistance as you're trying to push the water. But you know what? You don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere. It doesn't do any good. You might as well turn it upside down and paddle with the handle. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But increasing that resistance can actually strengthen you. And I just want to suggest that as we go through our life's experiences, especially the difficult, hard stuff, and start to see that as a strengthening period, and just consider it your training as you go through life. I think that that's uh, something that could really help in terms of keeping you moving forward and giving you the kind yeah, of perspective. It's a very good. As to where you're going. Have you found that to be idea. true? Yeah, I mean, when you think it's it's hard, you don't you don't want to go out and train and run. It's all part of what's making you stronger and faster and better. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's in life or you know in your sporting event. Well, Jeremy, I sure appreciate you being here with me today have this discussion you're welcome hope it's been fun for you too it was just uh, so that people will know how to get connected with you we've got about a minute left and i want to make sure that they can get connected uh to learn more or to if if they find this inspiring i would love to give them a way to either contact you or at least sure track in on what it is that you're doing we mentioned earlier the website tryracer.com and i'll put a link up at live on purpose radio for that this is the blog that was created as kind of a, a, a documentary or a, a, to chronicle what it is that you went through in this Badwater event. And then there's also some links there, I think, to your blog. Yeah, I have my own personal blog that I try to keep, you know, just uh-huh. stories about different adventures that I, that I go on. Okay. With pictures and, you know, a little bit of reading material. And there's links to all of that through the triracer.com. I believe so, yeah. I noticed that. If uh, people want to email you or anything like that, are you open to that? Sure. What's a good address to get you? Uh, my hotmail email is uh, Lee, L-E-E, underline, Pontocom, P-O-N, as in Nancy, T as in Tom, C-O-M. Okay. So it's like dot .com in Portuguese. Oh, so I Lee gotcha. underscore punto com at hotmail. At hotmail.com. 
And then they can always uh, get to you, I'm sure, through that blog and posting comments. And yeah, things I'd like love that to there. hear from people. I'd be fine. Inspiring story, Jerem. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. It's opened my eyes to a whole new world of things that I don't... I hope I see you out there running a marathon. I don't think I could ever do that. How's sure. that? <laughs> hey, thanks for being here, everybody. Go out there and live on purpose. <laughs>